Today we begin a series on the Lord's Prayer, considering one of the gospel stories in which Jesus teaches this prayer to his disciples. As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the television series, The Good Place, we meet four people who, after they die, connect in the so-called good place. Now, these four people are drastically different. They're from different countries, different social and economic and educational backgrounds with different sets of beliefs and values. But in the afterlife, they are thrown together, and they must learn to navigate this strange new place together. They spend hours and eventually hundreds of years together teaching one another, sharing their histories and memories, learning their preferences and talents, working together toward a common goal. Slowly but surely, they affect each other. They change each other. It turns out that being in relationship with people, especially relationships in which we spend significant time together, sharing our thoughts and feelings, tackling life's challenges, being in relationship with others is pretty much guaranteed to change us. By the time we get to the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus has spent a fair amount of time with his disciples. They've heard him teach, seen him heal, and watched him work miracles. But one particular thing about Jesus has caught their attention. He is a man of prayer. Now, this wouldn't have been anything that unusual or remarkable at this time when faithful Jews prayed three times every day, sunrise, 3 p.m., and again at sunset. 
They would pray standing up as a show of reverence toward God, and they used a series of the same 18 prayers, always in Hebrew, no matter the native language of the person praying. That's what the disciples would have expected their teacher, their rabbi, to do in his prayers. But something was different about the way Jesus prayed, and the disciples want to understand it. Because Jesus seems to pray all the time, not just at three specific times of day, but before meals and after them, not just at sunrise and sunset, but sometimes in the middle of the morning or all night long. Clearly, Jesus knows something about prayer that the disciples do not. And so they ask him, throwing in a little peer pressure for good measure, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And for once, Jesus gives them a simple, straightforward answer. When you pray, he says, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sin, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. What a relief it must have been to finally get clear instructions from Jesus. Not only clear, but simple. The prayer was short, easy to remember, and in their own language. This year as a church, we'll spend some time exploring our value of being grounded. For the next few weeks, we'll consider how the Lord's Prayer, this short, simple prayer Jesus taught, grounds us in who God is, who we are, and what it means to be in relationship with God, with each other, and with the world. The Lord's Prayer, for many of us, is one of the first prayers we learn as children or as new Christians. We pray it each week together, out loud, in unison, in church. And because of that, for us who are Protestants, it might be one of the only formal prayers we can recite by heart. The problem is, we know it so well, it can be easy to miss the radical claims Jesus made when he taught his followers this particular prayer, beginning with his very first introduction to it, where he says, when you pray, say, this may not sound like much, but with this instruction, even before he teaches the prayer itself, Jesus is telling us that prayer has everything to do with relationship, not just our relationship to the God we address in prayer, but our relationships with each other. He does this by using the second person plural. You know, y'all. When the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, he responds, when y'all pray, say. Before he teaches them the first word of the prayer, Jesus reminds all of us that the power of prayer comes from praying together which doesn't mean we don't sometimes pray alone. 
But he's teaching us that prayer is not a transactional exercise where we ask God for what we want for others or ourselves or the world and then keep asking until we get it. This is reinforced both by the words of the prayer itself, which all of which are in the second person plural, using our and we and us instead of my and I and me. But it's also reinforced by the story Jesus tells after the prayer about the man who asks his neighbor for bread in the middle of the night. It's not just the persistence that finally causes the friend to respond to the request. It's that they already have a relationship. Jesus is telling us that prayer is relational. It's part of our relationship with God and with each other. Which makes me think prayer should probably come with a warning. Because relationships change us. Brandon Terry is a professor of social sciences at Harvard, and he's an expert in the political philosophy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As many people noted on the MLK holiday last week, most of us have come to admire and even revere Dr. King, but few people have read more than just the most well-known of his writings, speeches, and sermons. I am guilty of this. As a result, Terry says we tend to miss a lot of the nuance of King's political philosophy and even misrepresent some of his most cherished theological views. One of the things that concerns him the most is that so many of the practices King taught and lived, including nonviolent resistance and activism, have been recast today as private individual practices instead of communal, relational ones. King gave a great deal of thought to how we learn to love other people by putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations where we have to be in proximity to, in relationship with, someone else, especially someone with whom we might disagree. King sought to build this alternative, beloved community not just of like-minded people, but a community of diverse people who are in conversation with each other and who engage in communal rituals like song and prayer. Dr. King knew from his personal experience and his knowledge and reading of the scriptures that the kingdom of God Jesus points to cannot be built by any one of us alone. It can only be built together. And when we get in close proximity with one another, when we work together and converse together and wrestle with our differences and share our joys and sorrows, when we enter into relationship with each other, we will be changed. This is the power of the prayer Jesus teaches us. It is not a prayer for us as individuals. It's a prayer for a community. Through this prayer, God calls us to relate to one another, to seek to understand each other. Which is why, before Jesus even teaches the prayer, he says, When y'all pray, say. And then he tells us to pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. 
Now, Father was not a new way to refer to God, but the word Jesus used here for Father was not the classical Hebrew word from the daily prayers. Jesus chose an Aramaic word, the native language of his disciples, the word Abba. He's telling them to address God in their own language, with words that have deep personal meaning for them. The scholar Ken Bailey was once teaching the Lord's Prayer in Arabic to a group of women in the Lebanese mountains. He made the comment that the word Abba is an Aramaic word used thousands of years ago, and when he did, he noticed the class begin to get restless. Finally, he stopped and asked the women if they had any comments. One woman said, Dr. Bailey, Abba is still the very first word we teach our children. Abba is a word with deep significance and meaning in the Middle East. It is used to address a superior and to show respect, but it indicates this profoundly personal relationship between the one speaking and the one being called Abba. This is the word Jesus tells his disciples to use when praying to God, not to suggest that God is a man or that God can be best understood through our earthly parents, but to show that God's name is as elemental to us as the first word we learn to speak, that God is the first one to care for us and provide for us, that God who created us knows us and loves us completely. If we are to pray together to God as our Abba, that means we, all y'all, all us, we each have the same relationship to the God who made us and knows us. God may be set apart, holy other, which is what the word hallowed means, but this first phrase reminds us that while God is holy and set apart, God is also what brings us together, no matter our differences. The very first word of this prayer requires us to consider how we are related to the people around us, near and far, to all of humanity, for whom God is Abba. Notice that Jesus does not call the disciples to him one by one to give each of them a unique prayer that they should pray based on their personality profile or their particular struggles in life. He says, y'all pray together like this. We capture that relational, communal, y'all pray aspect of this prayer with the first word we use to begin the prayer, which doesn't appear in this version, the word our when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we begin with the words, Our Father, not my Father, or your Father, or the Father, Our Father. This teaches us that prayer isn't about asking God for what we want for ourselves alone. When we pray, we must do so with the needs of all God's children in mind. Neil Volz grew up in a conservative political family and got bitten by the political bug early on in life. After college, he moved to D.C. to work for a congressman, 
a congressman who did business with a lobbyist named Jack Abramoff. Ultimately, Volz was caught up in Abramoff's corruption scandal of trading gifts for votes, and he was charged with a felony. Because he cooperated with the investigation, he did not go to prison, but he lost everything. His job, his reputation, his marriage. He moved to Florida to make a fresh start, but with a felony on his record, he struggled to find a job. Finally, he was hired as a janitor at a restaurant. He found a church and began volunteering in his community. But as a felon, he could no longer participate in politics because he could not vote. One night, he was volunteering at a church event when he stumbled on a meeting for people organizing to restore voting rights to those who had served their time for felony convictions. He was captivated by one of the men he heard making an impassioned speech about justice for felons. That man's name was Desmond Mead. His background in politics were very different from Volz's. His family had moved to Miami from the Virgin Islands when he was 11. He joined the Army after high school and, while serving, became addicted to drugs. He was ultimately sentenced by a military court to prison. After his release, he continued to struggle with addiction and homelessness, and he was in and out of prison. Finally, he got sober, and he committed his life to giving back to others. He went to college and law school and worked with homeless advocacy organizations. Then he started working to overturn the Florida law that banned felons from voting for life through legislation known as Amendment 4. That's what Neil Volz heard Meade talking about that day at the meeting. Afterwards, he went up and introduced himself, and the two men started talking. And they quickly realized that their different backgrounds but common experience as felons could make them a formidable team. And it did. Together, Volz and Meade built a wide network of grassroots volunteers across political divides, on any given day, they might go to an NAACP meeting, a Unitarian church, and a MAGA rally, all for Amendment 4. Neil joked that he and Desmond had a 20 minutes and a cup of coffee rule, and they could convince anybody to support Amendment 4 in that time. Because the truth is, he said, it's good for everybody. Their strategy ultimately led to one of the largest expansions of voting rights in U.S. history. When Jesus says, y'all pray, Abba, Father, holy is your name. He is reminding us that God is both holy other and as close as every breath we take. Prayer is a form of intimacy with God, and it underscores the relationships we have with each other. Prayer makes those relationships with God and with all God's children inescapable and undeniable. And relationships change us. But as Jesus knew, relationships don't just change us. People who are grounded in their relationships to God and each other can bring God's kingdom, God's peace, God's justice, to the world we live in here and now. 
when we are grounded in this prayer, grounded in our relationships, we can together change the world, starting with these words, our Father. Amen.